Good morning to you, and welcome to the podcast called I Am Shokunin. Today I want to talk to you about the world around us. Normally, I try to pick out a theme for the podcast, and it generally remains in a conceptual space of its own, with only a few references to the world around us to accentuate a point that I might want to make. Today, I really want to talk about the mess we are inhabiting at the moment and try and draw some conceptual ideas from it. In effect, I want to try and do the podcast in reverse, if that makes any kind of sense at all. From what I can see, and to be honest, I do not spend a great deal of time watching mainstream news, we find ourselves in a world where we have been divided into haves and have-nots. And by this, I'm referring to those that have been vaccinated against COVID and those that have not. In terms of people vaccinated versus those that have not, believe it or not, most of the world has not been vaccinated. You would be forgiven for believing that the reverse was true, but the reality is that most of the world's population has not been vaccinated, and in fact, at the present rate of output from pharmaceutical manufacturing infrastructure, that is not going to change for many years to come. I rather suspect that by the time we've produced enough doses to vaccinate the whole world four or five or six times a year, everyone will have had COVID and developed a natural immunity to the virus anyway. So why am I talking about one of the most overhyped and sensationalised topics on the planet at the moment? Surely everyone's had enough of this already. Well, the thing I want to talk about today are related to COVID. They're not actually about COVID. The topics I want to draw your attention to are effects of the management, if you could call it that, of the pandemic, um, which you, you might also wonder at its definition. I want to start with government and how to rule. Sorry, I should have said serve because we live in a democracy, right? I'm going to read a series of statements now from across the ages that will give you an indication of what being in government entails. So, to start with, a quote from H.L. Mencken, the whole aim of practical politics is to keep the populace alarmed and hence clamorous to be led to safety by menacing it with an endless series of hobgoblins, most of them imaginary. Second one from John Adams, one of the founding fathers of the United States of America. Fear is the foundation of most governments. And finally, something from Noam Chomsky. The resort to fear by systems of power to discipline the domestic population has left a long and terrible trail of bloodshed and suffering which we ignore at our peril. It's interesting, isn't it? that the main tool of governance is fear. And not surprisingly, then, the main weapon of choice for that form of governance is the world's media. Analysis conducted on the media has shown that less than 1% of the stories are in actual fact investigative journalism. Over 35% stories are related to crime and criminals. 40% of stories last for less than 30 seconds. Health stories represent over 35% of stories. There are almost no stories on culture or beneficial elements of society. In effect, the news service is simply a tool used by the government to instill fear and insecurity into its population. I wish 
this was a new story, but there are university courses teaching this stuff and whole libraries of research on how to perfect this form of governance and the world's media and social media is alive and well and thriving on the principles I'm talking about. I imagine that almost everyone in the world knows what I'm talking about too, and yet we continue to switch on our televisions, radios and social media accounts and continue to allow this slow poison to infect every waking conscious moment in our lives to the detriment of our own sanity, the sanity of those around us, and the relationships with which we have with everyone we care about. I find it unconscionable that as a modern society, we do not see or still allow ourselves to be influenced and programmed in this way. For the purposes of today's podcast, please feel free to replace COVID with any of the following fear-inducing subjects. It won't make any difference to the end result of the message I'm putting across. So here goes, in no particular order. Terrorists, drugs, immigrants, Brussels if you're a Brexiteer, cancer, China, Russia and North Korea if you're in the West, the United States and Europe if you're in China, Russia or North Korea, Pakistan if you're an Indian or Indian, India if you're a Pakistani, Nuclear weapons and weapons of mass destruction. Afghanistan, when anyone wants to go to war. Iran, if you are the USA, and USA, if you are Iran. Single mothers and those claiming state benefits. Teenage mothers. Junk food, meat, dairy, sugar, fat, salt, alcohol, preserved meats, pickles. Forever chemicals, global warming, microplastics, heavy metals, Water pollution, species extinction, overpopulation and declining population demographics, food security, vaping and cigarettes, criminals, floods, fires, volcanoes, pestilence, plagues, or any other disaster news that that you, you can think of. Any other political party that isn't in power and what they might do if they win. Corrupt police, guns and gun control and mass killings. Pornography, child abuse, human trafficking, slavery, robbery and assault, gangs and no-go areas, cost of living, homelessness, food banks, surveillance and big brother, cyber attacks, financial meltdowns and recessions. Ladies and gentlemen, the list is frankly endless. You will see by now, I hope, that there is a theme here and it's simply this. There is no way to control a population other than through divide and conquer. And this is the oldest strategy and the longest running strategy, which has been in use since well before the Babylonians started to write things in clay. You enact this strategy by dividing people's opinion around a subject. And if you can make it a fearful subject, all the better. You either fear the subject and give up your sovereignty to the government in return for protection, or you resist the subject, which gives the government the opportunity not only to point out the terrible consequences of that resistance, but also engage all the supporters of the government's position to then point fingers at you and call you shameful names. Peer pressure, in other words. And the fear of your peers' judgment. Frankly, it's so terribly cynical and manipulative that it should be banned just the way that, same way the nuclear bombs are meant to be banned. In what world does scaring people you're meant to look after and represent 
after death on a daily basis have any form of legitimacy at all. It's disgusting. That's what it is. Disgusting. So the question that all this begs of us is this. What do we legitimately have reason to fear in our daily lives? If you ignore all the things that could or might affect us, which to be a function, to be honest, is a function of the long list of things I've just highlighted to you, what real things might we legitimately be afraid of in our modern day society today? Let's see. How about the following list? Will I get my promotion at work or will I be made redundant? Can I get to the end of the month on the money I have? Will someone I know recover from the illness they have? Will they, and this could be anyone, like me as a person? Can I make a speech in front of all these people? I Honestly, I'm truly struggling with this list. As you can see, it's pretty mundane stuff. I can't seem to find a terrorist, immigrant, drug-dealing Russian mafia boss anywhere in that list at all. The truth is that our daily, day-to-day lives are very safe, very normal, and in most cases, quite boring. We do, in fact, have very little to be fearful about. We should, in fact, be happy. This reminds me of a quote from the film The Matrix by Agent Smith. It goes like this. Did you know that the first Matrix was designed to be a perfect human world? Where no one suffered, where everyone would be happy? It was a disaster. No one would accept the program. Entire crops were lost. Some believed we lacked the programming language to describe our perfect world. But I believe that, as a species, human beings define their reality through suffering and misery. The perfect world was a dream that your primitive cerebrum kept trying to wake up from, which is why the Matrix was redesigned to this, the peak of your civilization. Somehow this statement has a ring of truth about it. It's almost as if we cannot be happy without misery and suffering. It's almost as if we have a pathological longing for hardship. Of course, this is not true at all. There are millions upon millions of people all over the world that are perfectly happy and for the most part, worry-free. These are people who've decided to take charge of their state of mind and not allow the influence of others to interfere with their happiness. Kant wrote, The motto of enlightenment is to have the courage to use your own understanding. But courage, Kant added, is often undermined by self-appointed guardians who use fear to amplify the danger which threatens men and women as they try to think for themselves. The message here is clear. We have to have the courage of our own convictions in order to stand sovereign in our own conscious space in this world. And we need to guard ourselves against these self-appointed guardians who use fear as a method of of our control. But how do we do this when we seem to be surrounded by forces out of our control? I I recently witnessed a conversation between two people, one who was vaccinated against COVID and one person who was not. I, frankly, was appalled by the way this conversation went. The vaccinated person was calling the unvaccinated person shameful, stupid and traitorous for not having had the vaccine. And the unvaccinated person was trying to say that he didn't want or need the vaccine. 
In the end, the vaccinated person said, well, don't blame anyone when you die of COVID. To which the unvaccinated person said, but I've had COVID. That's why I don't need to be vaccinated. As you can imagine, there was a pregnant pause at the end of this statement. You see, when we're fearful, we lose control of our critical faculties. We reduce the world around us to binary choices of black and white, good or bad. We struggle to understand all the complexities of the situation. And this was just such an example. We forget that after two years of a virus circulating in a society that potentially over 50% of the population have caught the virus and recovered and now have natural immunity. We instead accept the narrative being pushed on us that everyone needs to be vaccinated, otherwise something awful will happen. What is this awful thing that will happen? Bizarrely, this is the bit that we're never told. The terrible thing that all these immigrants did in the UK that the government tried to terrify us all about. They actually served tables in bars and restaurants and picked fruit and vegetable for us. Truly terrifying stuff. No, what's actually terrifying is that now that we've made them feel so unwelcome after Brexit and they've all gone home, we can't harvest our crops or get stuff for the hospitality industry and many other areas of our economy. What is terrifying is the stupidity of our leaders and our own stupidity for believing their lies. Life, unfortunately, is two things. Firstly, it is always complicated and never simple. If it seems simple, it's probably because we don't have enough information available to us to understand what's really going on. And secondly, most of life has nothing to do with you and will have very little if any impact on you at all. So the reality of this is that if you mind your own business and only focus on the things that are going to affect you directly, you'll find that much of the fear and polarisation of your opinions that you hold at the moment will just miraculously disappear into thin air. You see, virtually everything we've spoken about today are simply ideas and opinions. None of it really exists at all. And even if it exists in some tangential way somewhere on the planet, it doesn't exist at number 42 Fortescue Street or wherever you live. The only thing you need to worry about is whether to take an umbrella with you when you go down to the paper shop on the corner of the street. As Gandhi said, it is a superstition and ungodly thing to believe that an act of a majority binds a minority. Many examples can be given in which acts of majorities will be found to have been wrong and those of minorities to have been right. And so often in history we find over and over and over again that the minority that is vilified and attacked in the end proves to have a valid argument. You will, of course, be aware of the age-old saying that goes like this. First they ignore you, then they ridicule you, then they attack you and want to burn you, and then they build monuments to you. There's a very good reason this quote hangs around and is put to use so often, and that is that more often than not, it's true to some extent. What it is actually doing is drawing our attention back to something important, is saying, stop for a moment. Stop repeating what you've been told to say. Take a moment to consider whether you're missing some vital, 
piece of information here. Bruce Barton is credited with a wonderful quote, which goes as follows. Nothing great has ever been achieved except by those who dared to believe that something inside of them was superior to circumstances. I love this quote because it talks directly to the spirit of the challenge that we're talking about in this podcast today. We have to dare to believe that our opinion, our choices, our chosen actions are the correct ones. When despite all the messages we're receiving around us are telling us we're wrong, that we have to change, that we, we, we have to have the courage and the audacity to stand alone and believe in ourselves. It's truly a remarkable statement. It's one of personal accountability, courage and critical thinking. It doesn't mean you're going to be necessarily right in everything you choose to believe in. And it doesn't absolve you from researching whatever view you have. And you still need to have enough humility to change your stance if you get information that changes your opinion. But if you're not getting new information that changes your opinion or your view, then you need to strong, stand strong and resist. It's always about this time in a conversation like this when the expression, what's the worst that could happen? I love this expression because the worst that could happen in is almost always you could die. And the reason I love this is that it's true. That that is almost always the worst that could happen to anyone. But the reality of this is that that option stalks us throughout our lives. We could drop dead at any time, either from illness and an accident or something else. Once we accept that living itself comes with the permanent possibility of death and ultimately the inevitability of dying, you realize there is actually very little to fear in the world at all. We are born and we die. That is life. The only thing we think we have is a choice or some level of control over when we die or how we die. The reality for most people is that we don't really have much control over this either. If we accept this logic, then we are free to explore the true peace and beauty of the world around us on a daily basis. When you accept this gift of insight, you start to see how stupid and small these games are that are being played with us by others. You start to see the power of the word no. As Gandhi said, passive resistance is not a physical fight. It's a spiritual fight. Just saying no and refusing to comply causes such a huge problem for the people trying to impose their will on you that ultimately their plans collapse. We know this phenomenon works. We know it as civil disobedience or mass non-compliance. We obviously don't get told about this by the media, but we have many, many examples where societies quietly go about doing this anyway. To give you an example, in the UK we have a law which states that if you go over a certain number of penalty points on your driving license, you lose your driving license for a year. Research has shown that over 75% of people who lose their license continue to drive anyway. They do this because the law is preposterous. Most people can't live without the car, so they choose to ignore the law. Research in the UK has shown that despite all pregnant mothers being told recently to have a COVID vaccination, 
85% of them have refused. It seems that pregnant women take the safety of their unborn child seriously enough to be critical of mandates imposed upon them. In many countries where the taxation laws, if followed to the letter of the law, would impoverish an entire nation's population, everyone keeps two sets of accounts, one for the government, which is a work of fiction, and one for themselves, which speaks to the real performance of their business. You see, what I'm getting at here, mass disobedience is actually more normal than you think. Societies have a way of eventually seeing through the propaganda and the false narratives that they're being fed and simply stop doing what they're being told to do. This is when the minority is joined by a large part of the disenfranchised majority and form a new majority that has a contrary view to the prevailing narrative. In government circles, this is called losing control of the narrative. Funny, isn't it, how they have an expression for it? Other words for this are a revolution, a coup, a, a, a revolt. Yet more words that are used to try and scare us, which in reality are just a representation of the majority of people who are saying that they are fed up with the rubbish and lies they're being fed and are refusing to go along with the story that they're being told. In the end, if history teaches us anything, it is this. No matter how badly we are lied to or manipulated, scared or threatened, in the end, ordinary people make up their minds about things and eventually form a majority point of view. And when they do, the dancing queens of politics change sides instantly for fear of reprisals. The power is always with the silent majority. No government has ever successfully suppressed an entire population forever. Even in the places like North Korea, civil disobedience is actually the norm at a basic level in the population and the rulers only hold on to power in ever more tenuous ways. In the end, people win through sheer virtue of numbers and will alone. So, where does this leave us? I wanted to try and create a message for everyone in this podcast. To those of us that are fearful and can't understand why people are resisting all the mandates and quarantines and so on that are taking place in the world today, and to those of us who are resisting the current narrative, I wanted to show you that we are all being played by the same system and that we'll only start to make progress as a society and as individuals once we stop playing the game. We need to choose another pitch to go and play on. We need to take the football with us. We need to say no and we need to engage with each other and understand how we are being manipulated and decide together to get on with our lives. There are simply not enough policemen or military in the world today to be able to control everyone if we decide to do the opposite of what we're being told to do. Ultimately, this is the voice which is called democracy. Democracy is not voting at the polls once every four to five years for some dancing queen. Democracy is the voice of non-compliance. It's the majority saying no to the nonsense and refusing to abide by the impositions placed upon them. Miraculously, once we start this process, it happens very quickly and easily, and change occurs. But for it to start, you have to start with no. I hope you enjoyed this month's podcast. I'm really not sure where it came from or why I decided to be confrontational this month. 
Sometimes the world around me seems to be descending into a bottomless cave of madness. And I just simply want to say what I want to say, despite everyone. I'm pig-headed at the best of times, and I tend to hold my own opinions fairly strongly. And this has worked remarkably well for me over my life. If you think there is something of use in this week's this month's podcast, then please share it with your friends, whom you might think it might be interesting. In the meantime, I really look forward to talking to you all soon. Take care. Bye for now.